0: Every once in a while, Hugh Pottle stops into McDonald's in the morning for coffee while I'm there having my breakfast and reading the newspaper, and we visit a bit. One of the first times we visited at length, he warned me that he likes to talk about politics. And uh, if you drive by his yard, you can see that that's true. He's got a whole bunch of, of signs there, and he has a very definite political persuasion, and uh, so if... Uh, if you like to talk politics, he's the guy. But somebody told me years ago that you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion in public. And so we're both in trouble. <laughs> and what I find in the Scripture is is that Jesus would not have been a good political candidate for office because he always told the absolute truth even if it cost him followers. And as we come to John chapter 6, we're going to see one of those episodes where he loses followers. Uh, for those of you that are new in our church, we, the way that we study the Bible most often on Sunday mornings is we start at the beginning of a book like the Gospel of John and we work our way through. And it just happens that we're to this passage today in John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 60. Therefore... Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Oh, I'm sorry, I'll change what I just said. Is that what he said? He said, no. What if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. They are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, to those who we call the apostles today, Do you also want to go away? But Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Instead of trying to create consensus like politicians do today, Jesus said, here is the truth, you can follow it or not. He didn't try to bring everybody under one big roof and make everybody feel good, and consequently, there were a number of times when people walked away from him. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in the Gospels, but it wasn't one big happy party of, you know, like uh, like maybe Forrest Gump walking, you know, walking and walking and running and running and just a bigger crowd and a bigger crowd and a bigger crowd. No, Jesus gathered a crowd, and then a whole bunch of them would leave. Maybe an individual person would come and he'd tell them the truth and then they'd leave. It wasn't a, wasn't a huge crowd that were serious followers of Christ even while he himself was on earth. And the reason for that is because some of the very things that he declares in this passage the first one that he declares is this Jesus declared that salvation comes from his body. In order to understand verse 60 that we just read, and and by the way, there are Bibles in your pews if you did not bring one with you, and we're on page 564 in that Bible that's in in the pew in front of you. In order to understand verse 60 when it says, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. We need to go back and see what the hard saying was. And so let's go back to verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That sounds gross and weird. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, if you've ever been in a Baptist church before, you know we don't read those verses very often (laughs) because they're a little tough to understand. But here's what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus declared that salvation comes from his body. It is a physical thing that he had to do. In the whole passage of John 6, starting back about, uh, oh, in the 20s there, Jesus is using an analogy, a comparison to help people understand truth. And the analogy is that of bread. And he said, bread gives you strength. When you eat it, you get strong from it. And Jesus compared himself to bread. He said, I am the bread of life. If you eat me, you will get eternal life. Physical bread leads to physical life, but somehow taking Jesus in gives us eternal life or everlasting life as it's translated sometimes. And what he was trying to communicate that was so rejected by these people was that something to do with his body and his blood was going to bring salvation. And I think this verse from the book of 1 Peter makes it very clear to us. Christ himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Did you see that? In his body he bore our sins. That's what he was trying to get across to these folks. But the way that he said it, they didn't like it. Because they focused on the wrong thing. I got a few spankings in my life, and there's the man that did it, right there. (laughs) I'm... I'm pretty sure I deserved at least as many as I got, (laughs) maybe a few more. Now, I had a sister, and I don't ever remember her coming into the room saying, I'll take that spanking for you. (laughs) No, I'm sure she was in the other room going, oh, goody, 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 (laughs) goody, because I was mean to her when I got a chance to, you know. I don't ever remember anybody taking a spanking for me in any way, shape, or form. Whether physical or, or in some other form, maybe when I got a, a ticket. I don't remember ever a police officer coming and saying, I'll, I'll pay that ticket for you. Do you understand that that's what Jesus was trying to tell these people? He was saying, look, I am going to take your sins in my body, and I'm going to shed my blood for your sins. All they could hear was the way he was communicating, and they went, ooh, ick, that's awful. The great truth is that Jesus died in our place. We don't have to die spiritually because he died spiritually for us. We are going to die physically, but the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment... But if we have partaken of his body and his blood, if he has saved us, if he has borne our sins in his body on the tree, then to die physically means we go right into the presence of God. We have what he calls here eternal life. He was simply trying to say, My body is going to be the source of salvation. The reason that the eternal second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, had to come and take on a body and grow up and have a physical human body is so he could shed blood to pay for our sins. And these folks that he was talking to, not only didn't like the idea of the body and the blood, they didn't like the idea that they were sinners and that somebody needed to die for them and they had to depend on him for salvation. He said, unless you receive from me, you will not have eternal life. And so that was an unpopular thing for Jesus to say and I think it's fair to say in our country today it's more unpopular now than it was then. We could talk about Jesus a lot, but if we start saying his body is the only source of salvation, people get upset. Second thing that Jesus said that was not politically correct and not popular in his day was this Jesus declared that salvation is a spiritual reality. While he had to die and shed his blood, he was not trying to say that we need to physically eat his body and drink his blood. That was not the point. And we understand that from verse 63 that we read a minute ago. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit They are life. Jesus made it clear that although salvation comes from his suffering and his shed blood and his death, it is not a physical transaction. You cannot eat the body and blood of Christ and gain salvation. It is a spiritual transaction, not a physical one. It is also not physical in the sense that we cannot do enough good to earn salvation. We can't do something in our physical body so that God will look at us someday in heaven and say, oh, you did enough good. We learned from a video series from a man who used to be a Muslim and now he's a Christian. We learned the real heart of the Muslim idea of salvation and he says it has to do with the scales. And the question is, have you done more good than bad in your life. It's a 51% kind of rule. And he said it wouldn't be uncommon at the end of the day for, for uh, his dad to talk to him when he was putting him in bed at night and say, did you do more good than bad today? And he was living under that concept that if he did enough good, he would make it to the place of blessing. Now, obviously, the the Muslim concept of of the afterlife is much different than the the Christian concept, but many people will will follow the Ten Commandments because they think they can do enough in their physical body to merit God's uh, approval in heaven. And Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. I found it interesting in the process of of, of sharing God's truth with Marion Pottle, who was just baptized. She just, she was completely comfortable with the idea that you do good to earn salvation. And she's trying to be a good person. And you know, that's really great. It would be better if more people were trying to be good in our country. Seems like some people are trying to be bad. But that's a very comfortable human concept. Jesus says, no, it is the spirit. Who gives life, not the flesh. We read this in Isaiah 64, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. The word righteousness has got a red line under it on my, on my computer when I when I typed it in there. That's an, actual, that's an actual word from the Bible. In, in English, you would more say something like our acts of righteousness or, or something like that, but it's, it's not apparently in the Microsoft spell check system. But what it means is the things we would do humanly apart from God to try to gain God's approval. He says, all of those kinds of deeds, those, those good deeds we do to earn salvation are like a filthy rag. And i got to tell you, the word for filthy rag is something like a dirty diaper. I mean, when God looks at those deeds that, we, that people would try to do so that they could look up to heaven and say, see how good I am? God goes, it stinks to him. It stinks to him because no matter how many good deeds you have, you still have the sin in your life. Do the good deeds scrub away the bad deeds? God says no. No, they don't. Jesus declared that salvation is a spiritual reality that comes to us through the word of God. The third thing that Jesus said that was unpopular was this. Salvation comes through his words. Verse 63, again, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my father. In, the, in verse 63, Jesus clarifies the message that he was sharing when he talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He was saying, look, here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that I've given you the message of salvation and it involves my death, burial, and resurrection, the shedding of my blood. And spiritually, through your faith, you take me in, you receive me into your innermost being, and I will save your soul, the sacrifice that I've given What is the truth of God which we must believe? What are the words of Christ that we need to know? The truth about salvation. Well, I think this passage from Romans summarizes it very well. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, that is by following the Ten Commandments, no flesh will be justified or made righteous in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. He said, here's the purpose of the Ten Commandments and the whole Old Testament law, for us to know we were sinners. Even if we look at the Ten Commandments as a way to follow God, none of us have kept those perfectly. And he says, by the works of the flesh, no one will be justified. But now... But in contrast to the works of the flesh, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed or made plain, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The Old Testament gave witness that it was a true thing in Christ. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As nice a grandma as Marion is, she's a sinner. Now she's a forgiven sinner. Praise God, huh? Yeah. And as nice as, as uh, Michaela York is, a lovely little gal, she's a sinner. Now she's a forgiven sinner. We're all sinners. As hard as it is for you to believe, I was a sinner too. <laughs> Hence the spankings. <laughs> but we are justified freely by his grace. Grace means a gift. God gives us salvation. We are made righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. That comes right back to his body and blood. He shed his blood to pay for our sin. That's the redemption. Whom God set forth as a propitiation or a satisfaction. He satisfied the wrath of God toward sin by his blood through faith. Not through eating his body and drinking his blood. Through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance or patience, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. God says, look, here's the deal. You're a sinner. Adam and Eve were put in a perfect world and they chose to sin. You're a sinner. But Jesus Christ has died on the cross to pay for your sin. You don't have to die in your sin and be punished for it. You can come by faith to Christ and be made righteous. Now look what Jesus said about his words, about this truth that we just summarized. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, If you abide or stay in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Following Christ is not a matter of are you doing enough good deeds. Following Christ is, do you believe the truth and do you live in the truth? Is it your lifestyle, if you will, based on your faith? You're having a response to God's truth today. Jeremiah had a response to God's truth. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word to me was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Now, for those of you that are new today, you might think, well, what's the big deal about having dinner at the pastor's house? Well, folks that have been around here a while know that I, I, can, I do a pretty good job in the kitchen and a really good job in the desserts. And so that, that dinner is going to come with your choice of either my own special cheesecake, or Pastor Dave's Prozac substitute, which is a chocolate cake about that tall. Mousse on the inside, ganache on the outside, little whipped cream, little fresh raspberry on the side. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no scoffing now, Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> Your words were found and I ate them, and your word to me was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. When you hear God's word, does your heart rejoice like your belly does after a good meal? You know, taking that food down, going, oh man, that is good. How's God's word when it goes down? You see, that's what Jesus was talking about. He said, you need to eat me. Take me in. How does it taste? Does it it taste like heartburn on the way? Or does it taste sweet? The words of Christ either bring delight, the delight of salvation, or they cause the heartburn of rebellion. The fourth thing that Jesus said that was radical was this. Jesus declared that salvation requires God's work. Look at verse 65. Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Now what in the world does that mean? What it means is is that in and of ourselves we don't have the power. Um, look Look at it again where he says no one can come That word for can is the Greek word for power and and the Greek word is dunamis and it comes into the English language as the word dynamite. What he literally says is no one has the power in and of himself. (coughs) No one has the power in and of himself to come to me. But the good news is that God helps us I think this is a great example in the scripture of how God helps. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to listen to the things spoken by Paul. Some of you are here today and maybe you haven't been in church for a long time. And you're thinking, you know, this kind of makes sense to me. And if it makes sense to you, that is God opening your eyes. We are so full of sin, it controls us so much that we can't come without his help. But thank God he helps us. What a wonderful truth that is. Uh, I told my Sunday school class this morning, I think one of the greatest miracles that God is doing today is the fact that I can stand up here and tell you God's truth, and then you can read it for yourself out of the Bible, make sure I'm not telling you a lie, and that through that truth, people can come to faith in Christ. Did you hear Marion say that she has no particular religious background? And yet we can open God's word and after several weeks of doing that, she goes, yes, this is what I need to believe. That is a gift of God. What a wonderful thing it is. But when Jesus said that to these people, it cut across their pride. What do you mean we can't do this ourselves? He said, no, God's got to help you. Number five, Jesus declared that salvation brings eternal life. Look at verse 67. I love this. Let's start in verse 66. Jesus shared the things that I've been sharing with you today. And in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Some of you will respond that way today. Verse 67, and then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? And Peter said, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter said, what other church are we going to go to? There's no other place we can go that is declaring to us eternal life, that is making it possible for us to have eternal life. Now, there are many churches in Whatcom County proclaiming this same message today, so I, I'm not trying to say this is the only church, not by any means. But there are a number of places that aren't declaring the truth as well. But the thing that Peter really got, he got it, as we say today, he said, Lord, why, why would we go anywhere else? Where will we go? Because you have given us eternal life. I'd like you to think about something for a minute. There are a lot of good folks in our world today I'll use a couple of common names. You get the idea. Dr. Phil and Oprah. They have a few good things to say from time to time. They do. But they never tell you about eternal life. As good as they are, they aren't going to help you make it to heaven. And Peter realized how critically important that was. He said, Lord, where are we going to go? You know, He could have said this, well, I know we could go to the synagogue or the temple. We could do this or that and the other. But you have the words of eternal life. In 1 John 5.13, we read this, These things I have written to you who believe that in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I don't know if it's the greatest blessing, but it sure seems like it to say that the greatest blessing of coming to faith in Christ is that down in your heart, you know that when the day comes that you close your eyes for the last time on this earth, you will wake up in the presence of God literally a, a split second later. Peter knew that was so important. He got it, that the apostles got it, all of them except one. Number six, Jesus declared that salvation is obtained by faith. Peter did not make this commitment statement to Christ because he fully understood everything Christ talked about. You know how I know that? Because on the night before Jesus went through, the night that Jesus started to go through his suffering and then the crucifixion the next day, Jesus looked right at Peter and he said, Peter, you're going to deny me before the morning rooster crows. Now, if Peter had understood everything Jesus said fully and completely, he would not have then gone out. And three times, perhaps even within the eyesight of Jesus, denied that he ever knew Christ. And there were other mistakes that Peter made. And so Peter didn't fully understand everything. But he came to faith. And he knew the truth of God that he believed. And so he put his faith in the message of Christ. Think about Judas with me a minute. Verse 70, Jesus says to the 12, and this is like a year before the events of the crucifixion. Jesus said to them, Did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil or an adversary? He spoke this of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the 12. Do you know what is so significant about Judas? He was with Jesus for three years, just like Peter and John and right down the list, they were there. He was there. He was part of what they were doing. Salvation is not a matter of understanding or of having the right teacher. Is it possible that anybody in the world ever could explain the gospel better than Jesus Christ himself? And Judas, in the face of that, was a greedy man. If you are waiting for some special teacher, if you are waiting to fully grasp intellectually all of the truth of God before you make a commitment to Him, you will never make that commitment. God calls us to faith. Jesus says, You need to come and believe if we back up a few verses. Verse 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Last Sunday, I got on an airplane and flew to Sacramento trying to get out of town after that terrible humiliation that I took. Nobody loves me. <laughs> <laughs> I flew to Sacramento along with my son's father-in-law, and we went to Yuba City, where my son and daughter-in-law live, and we finished loading the U-Haul truck on Monday morning, and we drove 500 miles to Portland. We stayed overnight. The next day, we drove all the rest of the way up to Woodenville and, and unloaded the truck. And about Wednesday or Thursday, I was feeling like I wanted to go visit my chiropractor. And uh, <laughs> so I called up and said, ah, help my son move. What can I say? Let me, let me come see you today. So I went and saw, and I go to Terry Rouse, and he's the only doctor I've ever seen that's bigger than me. And he gets a hold, and he's, he's, you know, he's diagnosing my neck or whatever he's doing. And man, it hurts like the dickens. And so I said to him, Man, I didn't come over here to feel pain. I come over here to get rid of my pain. And I can talk to him that way, we have a good time together. The message of Christ doesn't always feel fun and good when we hear it. But I can guarantee you it's gonna bring good in your life. It's gonna bring it's already brought good in Marion's life. It's going to bring more good in her life. It's going to bring good in Michaela's life. And it can bring good in your life. I want to ask you again today, is the word of God something sweet? Is the truth of God something sweet? Whether it's this issue of salvation or or some other truth of God, is it sweet to you or are you fighting it? You can fight all you want, but you won't win. I want to invite you today that if you've never put your faith in Christ, that you would do that today. If there's something else that's challenging you between you and Christ, I want to I invite you today to get that squared away. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are still reaching out and touching people's lives, whether they be young or old, men or women, from this country or another. I thank you that you are still in that business. I thank you for saving me. And I thank you for saving those that we saw their testimonies today. And and Father, I pray that you would continue to make your truth real to people today. Bring them to faith in yourself. Father, for those of us that know you, help us to take this message to heart. Help us to love your word and love your truth and help us to share it with those who need to hear it. I pray in Christ's name, amen.